This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. 2NURFM 103.7. It's time to talk travel. I'm Jane Klein and with me again, Sally Lucas. Hello. Hello, Jane. And we've got a great country to talk about today. Well, I think we have, Jane, and it's Vietnam. And it's a fascinating country. And I've been there recently with my husband and... It was his first visit, my second, and he'd been reading up very thoroughly and he was amazed at the history of Vietnam and also how tolerant the people are when you think what has happened to them over centuries, both by the French and then by the Americans. And uh, even before that, And even course, before that, of course, but I mean, that's more recent, of course. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I guess, more recently when I say that, but how they're still very accepting and accepting of tourists from either of those countries and they don't hold grudges. It, it really is just amazing how, how tolerant and they're very patient people, they're very industrious people um, and you notice that everywhere you go I think that the, this this patience even with the driving I mean you know Jane you've been there it's six and a half years since I was there right and I reckon in um, Ho Chi Minh City which now has nine million people I reckon there's probably more motorbikes than that even I have never seen so many motorbikes in my entire life so there are a lot more now than when you were oh, there so much more and cars now see there weren't many cars before and that's not a problem really when it was just motorbikes because you weave your way across the road. As they say, that's the only way to cross the road. You don't run. You walk slowly and the bikes move around you. But now that there's cars, it's a lot different and you've got to watch because they just don't stop. They don't weave around you. So you've got a double hazard there now with the bikes and the cars. But I think we sort of mastered it. As Scott said, every day was a challenge. And, uh, I think and it's one of the world's great adventures, crossing oh, a street look, in Hanoi. It is in either city, but Ho Chi Minh particularly. I mean, there's just far more. And, of course, there's more people. There's only about 4 million people in Hanoi. But it's interesting to note that the country at the end of the Vietnam War was only a country of about 25 million. Now it's 85. Oh, that's a huge increase. In, what, 30-odd years? Isn't that amazing mm. when you think about it? Um, but, it's, you know, when you look at the devastation that happened, the bombings, how much of Vietnam was destroyed, and until you start reading about that and realise how much they suffered, you just can't believe how they've bounced back so well in a relatively short period of time. Um, and we just found them very, very, very um, pleasant, willing people everywhere we went. There still is a lack of English, of course, between some people, naturally, um, and it depends on the education they receive because it's not free in Vietnam. You know, they have to pay. Some families are still quite poor that live in remote or rural areas, so the children don't get the same sort of schooling as you would if you were living in the city. And they also say that if you can afford it, you send your child to like a Catholic school or a school run by not necessarily Vietnamese education system because they say let's talking to this is just talking to generally people throughout Vietnam it's not as good a system and they they learn English but they learn everything better a better standard a high standard if they can afford to go to the other schools so it's a very interesting country and of course it's it's like a bullock's yoke is how they describe it it's a very long country uh, with a huge seaboard so you're predominantly eating a lot of seafood which is wonderful the food is so fresh and so beautiful. You know, it's just just fantastic. Um, I just don't think I had a bad meal the whole time I was there. I mean, it was everything from the fur to the beautiful fresh vegetables, the salads, and, and the attention to detail, you know, how your plate was decorated. The presentation of the food is so important to them. Um, but it's just so interesting because you've got this mix of, as you say, of all the previous people that have dominated that country in past times, you know, from French to influence. There's been Japanese, there's been Portuguese, there's been Chinese and, and so on. And, and I didn't realise this time, I, I learned a little bit more about the country that it had 54 ethnic minority groups and I didn't realise there were that many. 
And until you go north, of course, which is where a lot of the ethnic minority people are in the north, and the north and south are still very different. And there's still that Melbourne-Sydney thing happening in Vietnam. The north people think the north's better, the south thinks the south's better, you know. So even though they're unified, so to speak, you still have this little battle between the north and the south, which is quite interesting when you take on board what one guide says in the south and you listen to what the other one says in the north. <laughs> it's, it's quite and interesting. And compare. And compare. So, yeah, it's a very, very interesting country. And it's it's not too far to go. Like, it's about an eight-and-a-half-hour flight to Saigon. And then if you're flying up to Hanoi, about another hour 40. Um, but you deserve to spend at least a few nights in each of those cities because they're totally different architecturally, the way they're set out. The lifestyle, um, Ho Chi Minh's 24-7. It doesn't stop. It doesn't sleep. Whereas Hanoi goes to sleep. You know, it's quiet. For it's a all short quiet time. Stuff. Yes, it does. And we arrived on the train from supper and we didn't recognise our street. because there was no lights. There was no people eating on the footpath. All the shutters were drawn. And we said, this, this, isn't, this is a funny little street. This isn't our street. But it was because everything was asleep. And, and until then, the next morning, it's all vibrant, it's all happening. And they live on the footpath, don't they, Jane? Oh, I mean, very much. Mm. You know, life is on the footpath. A lot of them live in very small accommodation. So their living room is the street. And they live out their life on the street. And so you're watching people, you know, doing what they do every day just by walking along the street, which I find quite fascinating as well. So, yeah, look, it's a fabulous place to visit. And... Um, We'll talk a little bit more about something else in Vietnam. Just before we head yes, off um, yes. for a short time, yes. uh, did you find that people were calling the great southern city Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City? Um, or did it vary? It varied. Um, they, the, the older people certainly still refer to it as Saigon. Um, and I think generally most people do. They, they don't often call it Ho Chi Minh City. Even the people that live in Saigon, obviously, they still have that fondness of, of Saigon, even though, of course, they've got reverence for old Ho and Ho Chi Minh. I think Saigon was Saigon for so long, I guess, it, it still resonates with them. Whether the younger generation coming through that may change a bit as it evolves. But, yeah, I think more, more often Saigon is still how it's referred to. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel World on King. We're talking travel on 2NURFM 103.7. Sally Lucas, a country that's perhaps one of your favourites, Vietnam. Yes, I think it's becoming one of my favourites, Jane, even though I've been a Europe girl, as you know, or a France girl. But, I mean, I guess the French influence is there, isn't it? So I can sort of say it's still a bit French anyway, isn't uh, it? It's good to develop other facets of, of your personality. This time I, I went up to Sapa, and the district is in Lao Cai province, uh, which is sort of northwest of um, um, Hanoi, sorry, stopping there for a moment, three, about 350 k's northwest. And it's right on the, well, Lao Kai is actually right on the Chinese border. It's only the river between Lao Kai and China. So, so you get to see China yes, as well. Yes, you do. You see the gate and all that sort of stuff. Um, they're allowed to go through without visas, but only just to the village on the other side. If they want to go further in depth into China, they also still have to require to get a visa. So it's about 3,150 feet above sea level. You're travelling on by night. We went on the train. The reason they do that, we, we inquired as to why we didn't do a day trip. We'd love to have done a day trip in one direction rather than a night trip each way. But it was explained that the, day, the overnight trip, you leave about 9 and you get in about 5.30 in the morning. So it's, a real, it's an 8 you know, eight to 8.5 eight hour train journey. The day trip stops at every whistle stop station and apparently they said it's it's really long so that's why they don't do it so unless they eventually bring in as tourism increases maybe they will a more express service it's like a 12 and a half hour journey 
to do it by day. And that's why they, the tourism bodies over there feel that that wouldn't be good for the average traveller to be sitting that long in a train. And the trains are not, you know, plush. <laughs> They're basic trains, and I think sitting in a seat that's not all that wonderful for 12 and a half hours mightn't be all that flash. And it's not like you've got dining cars or anything like that. So, so that's why you do the night travel. Anyhow, that was just to explain that. But once you get there, it, it's sort of the Vietnam's highest mountainous region, and of course you're bordering right on China. And this is where you really do get to see some of these wonderful ethnic minority people. And they really traditionally live their life as they've always lived it. And that's the difference. No you know, mechanisation. Everything's done by hand with their water buffalo. They're nearly all rice farmers. Only get one crop a year, though, because of the weather. So what they do, the women, of course, as you probably know, Jane, are famous for their embroidery work. And you see young girls, everyone's just sitting outside their little hut or whatever, stitching and embroidering. So the ladies, when the rice season was finished, the other season they go into town and obviously supply the markets with their wonderful embroidery work to, to bring some extra money into the family. Because mostly, of course, in Vietnam you get two rice crops a year, but, but of course not in Sapa being so far north, and, and into, get, that gets a real winter, of course, with snow and so on. So it's absolutely a, a beautiful little village. It's, it's obviously pretty touristy now. You've got a lot of tourists coming to visit Sapa. We went out to the local village of our guide, Shu, her name was, who was absolutely fantastic. And if anyone's going to Sapa ask for her she's well known she's of the mong what they call the black mong there's so many different varieties of mong flower mong and so on who live in that region and she took us into her village and she's actually in the middle of building now a little homestay where people can go and trek in there and stay with simple accommodation upstairs and have a little restaurant downstairs because she wants to encourage the people in the village to realize there's other things they can do to create an income and she's doing this with her cousin and she's only 25 got a four and a half year old daughter she's very very switched on um and i admire her tremendously her attitude her, her english was very good and she's self-taught basically by talking to tourists is how she's learned and if she if i said a word that she didn't understand or wanted it she asked me to spell it and put it in her mobile so she could always have that word and know. She, she was she was wonderful. The funny thing was, we got there and she said, you're from Newcastle. She said, I have friends in Newcastle. I'm going, oh, you're joking. She said, no, 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 and I've never met anyone else from Newcastle, everyone from Sydney and Melbourne. And it's a doctor and his family who visited there many times, and their daughter has gone up just this week, and she's a lawyer apparently, to help her finalise setting up the bed and breakfast. Isn't that a lovely thing to do? Just taking five days out of her working week to fly up and go to supper and help this lady. But the people there are wonderful. We did a trek through the village, which is about two hours, where you visit various different people within the village and they give you a cup of tea inside their home. And then we actually did a two-hour mountain trek through bamboo forests, etc., which was very steep. Scott said it reminded him of Kokoda, not that it kept going as long, but that it was a lot of ups and then very steep downs, continue up, down, up, down. So just to let people know that if you're going to do that trek, it, it's not easy trekking. It, and if it gets a bit wet, it's it's very slippery, especially you know, when you're going down. And, of course, you've got roots along the tracks as well. Fabulous to do it, though. It was probably about five or six k's, um, but a wonderful thing to do. And then after that, of course, the next day we went to those wonderful markets, which are about 112 k's away from Sapa at Bakar. And these are really traditional, truly traditional markets for the locals. It's not for the tourists. And the women, always the women in Vietnam are the most industrious and doing the most work, I noticed. They run most of the businesses, they run the shops, 
you know, the men might do some of the heavy labour work, of course, but the women are the ones that obviously have the business acumen, I'd say. But even out here, these wonderful village women with like sometimes babies on their back are walking 20 k's into these buck car markets with their water buffalo or their pigs or their chooks to sell or their embroidery. And you go there and the markets are massive, absolutely massive. And it's, you, you, you know, in a throng, you're just being milled along with this throng of people and just seeing how they live, you know, selling snake to eat, you know, and then you have, you've got the skin beside it so you can check and make sure what sort of snake it was. And there's, they sell everything from dogs to pigs to water buffalo to food to the most beautiful embroidery you've ever seen. It's just so detailed and so colourful. It reminded me of um, some of the people in Nepal and also like in Peru, how these women are wonderful with their embroidery. They dye all their own material. They hand-stitch it. It's it's just incredible. I think if you're going to Vietnam, as much as I loved the bustling of Saigon, I loved Hanoi for, for its more Frenchness, if you like, and its wider boulevards and interesting eclectic mix of people. But you get up into Sapa and you're really seeing how these ethnic minority people have lived and are still living and honestly even the children apparently do not go to the big bright lights they stay within that family and they want to keep their ethnic origins and people still surviving which is a wonderful thing and it's a rare thing these days it is to a find very rare. something like that it is jane extremely in most countries isn't it it's very rare so i admire them and my tenacity for sticking at what they've done for centuries Thank you, Sally Lucas. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be back talking travel after the one o'clock news next Friday on 2NURFM 103.7.